And uh, we've been looking at these biblical foundations, but what is it really to find freedom? We've looked at, the, again, the value and purpose of man. We looked at the, f- the reason for the fall is the, the unthankfulness. We've looked at the tentacles of truth. Here in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, if you want to turn with me there into your Bibles, I'm just doing a little review from where we were at last Sunday. I've got about 21 pages here, so I don't believe I'll finish it up this morning. As I began to, as I continued the study this week on this, it just multiplied in the idea of what is freedom. And we think that freedom is the ability to move and roam around this country unimpeded as long as we're within the constitutional rights of this country. Here in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So in the very act of giving freedom there are boundaries. Now, as I had stated last week, he says freely is really a reiteration of the word eat, but it's implying that an overabundance of food, there is no lack. So the very stipulation for the enjoyment of the Garden of Eden was a stipulation to not eat of the forbidden fruit, thus keeping an innocent conscience or an undefiled conscience. Freedom ultimately is an internal construct. Yes, there are, it does have an implication in a physical sense, in a, like a liberty, but it, it, when you think about it, freedom of one's mind and heart. Did the violation of the law by Adam and Eve bring greater freedom or lesser freedom? And the answer is lesser, very definitely. So when you do wrong and you seek to go unnoticed by whomever the person you're evading is, you're not free. You're bound to that person by the transgression that you've committed. Freedom grants us great privileges that are otherwise not granted to those who have trespassed the established law, even the natural law of God. So as we look, continue to look at this idea and the principle of freedom, There are boundaries to freedom. And that may seem in opposition or in contrast to truth, but in fact it is truth. Freedom has boundaries. You're not free to do with me as you please, and I'm not free to do with you as I please. There's some boundaries there. And we'll talk about that. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I come before you. Father, I commit this time into your hands. Lord, I pray that you'd be with the words that are spoken, the truths from your word. Father, I ask that in our hearts that we would learn freedom. Whatever it is in our life that may be causing shame, or that may be causing anger, frustration, God, I pray that we'd find freedom. So, Lord, I yield today to Thee. I'm Your vessel to use as You please. 
Lord, I love you and thank you for your grace. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. The origins of freedom here, as we find in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. And then in chapter 3, verses 8 through 21, is the intervention for freedom. A little bit of review from last week. What did the Lord God do to remove the guilt and restore the relationship with Adam and Eve when freedom was lost? Notice with me they had eaten the forbidden fruit, verses 8 through 21, but the Lord would, in the restoration, first of all, he questions Adam and Eve. He calls for them, where are you? Now he knows where they're at. Verse 9 of chapter 3. So he gives them an opportunity to fess up, confess up, and repent and make it right. Second of all, verses 10 and 11, he gets to their conscience and says, listen, what is it going on in your heart? He gets to the heart of the problem. Why are you feeling the shame the way you do? He doesn't seek to console the heavy conviction of sin. He doesn't seek to console their fear or their shame. He doesn't seek to uh, appease or lessen their sorrow. No, he gets to the root of the problem, which is a sinful heart that is not free. He asks them about their nakedness. Freedom is a privilege, and when a privilege is forfeited or betrayed, there are certain additional restrictions. Should someone get in trouble with the law, they go into prison, they come out of prison, there are limitations on what they can do. Some of them may never be allowed to own a firearm. There are other places that they cannot work because of the record that they have. The third thing that God does here is he gets both sides of the story. He asks Adam. And Adam throws his wife under the bus, saying it's her fault. The wife, Eve, throws the serpent under the bus. No one wants to take responsibility for their own wrong. And so the Lord executes judgment upon the serpent, then the woman, then the man, and and the rest is history. And then the Lord makes restitution. He restores them unto himself in freedom. So that he can have that relationship. But in verse 22 through 24, is there still freedom? Yes, but it's not in the place of bountiful rest. They're kicked out of the Garden of Eden. There's a bondage to the elements of the world. There's thorns and thistles and bugs and and, uh, heavy heavy pains in labor. A violated conscience with God will reduce one's liberty, your movements in this world, as well as your peace of mind, your freedom. So what is the lesson here? Freedom is a privilege, and if I violate this privilege by overstepping a boundary set by the authority, now God sets boundaries, he's the authority, there are certain corrective actions that are taken. But freedom begins in the heart in connection with God. You're not free if you're not right with God. When you violate your conscience with God, you lose the freedom to freely assemble and communicate with Him. Adam and Eve, they they sin, they hid themselves, and they remove themselves from fellowship with God. They're hiding. And that's what we do when we're in sin. We're not in close fellowship with God. I don't feel like God is listening to me. I don't feel so close to God. Some people might even say, I feel like I'm losing my faith. There's a sin in your life somewhere that is causing 
this distance. So there needs to be a remedial action to reconcile this relationship. Freedom is the opposite of slavery. So as I said, a conscience is violated, a law is broken, and you cannot indefinitely hide your actions. Your conscience will convict you. You do something wrong, you steal a cookie from the cookie jar, you steal a candy from the candy jar when you know you're not supposed to, you might, be, you know, you might go on and say, well, it was just a small little thing, but your conscience will convict you. Liberty and freedom are not the same. Freedom is already a guaranteed right, and liberty is the resuming of these rights from an oppressive and restraining entity. You're liberated. Adam and Eve were enslaved by their trespass against the Lord. Adam and Eve were brought into bondage by Satan. In 2 Peter 2.19, While they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome, of the same as he brought in bondage. When your conscience isn't free, it affects your relationships with others. When you're not, when you're not right with God, if you're harboring something with someone else or you're, there's issues in your life or you've done unethical things or there's other issues in your life and God is bringing it to your conscience conviction and you are not responding in the appropriate manner, you will have your relationship with God affected. So Adam and Eve were blinded by the alluring trap of Satan and they refused to own up to their error. They hid from it. They excused it. They made clothes to hide their nakedness. You know the thing is, God sees everything we do. So rather than trying to make it right, why do I try to hide from him? I'm not going to church. I'm not reading my Bible. I'm not praying. I'm done with God. He sees all that you're doing, so why are you trying to hide from him? It's kind of like a little, cookie, a little kid saying, I didn't eat the cookie and there's chocolates all over their face. Or it's kind of like a little kid saying, let's play hide and seek. And you can see their shoes hiding from underneath wherever they're hiding. You know where they're at. And we do that all the time with God. You know why? Because you and I many times have an Egypt syndrome of freedom. Look with me at Galatians chapter 4 verse 9. We have an Egypt syndrome. And you might be thinking, and I'm referencing Israel on this. But we want to go back to Egypt. I want to be under bondage. You're thinking, you're crazy, Pastor. No, I don't. But your actions speak louder than your words. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. My little children... of whom I travail in birth again until Christ. Is that right? <laughs> that's the reference, but that's not the verse. I have to get that. 4, 9, excuse me, not 19. Let's try that again. All right, I just need to read my writing correctly. Verse 9. But now, after that you have known God, or rather known of God, how turn ye again to the weak, and beggarly elements whereunto you desire again to be in bondage. You know what this is saying? 
from the Israelites there in the, the desert, Numbers 11.5, we remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. They said, we remember what we ate in Egypt freely. To go freely here is to go out from slavery. Wasn't it the slavery that they were in in Egypt that caused, they cried unto God and said, God, we're in bondage, deliver us. And here, in retrospect, in their mind, they're thinking, I had more freedom. Have you ever heard a Christian say, I had a whole lot, I had a lot better days than, uh, you know, my days were a lot better before I became a Christian. Some, I've heard some people say that. You don't know what you've been delivered from. You don't know where you came from. We have an Egypt syndrome to want to go back and live under the bondage of our lust, the lust under our flesh. We want to live under the deceit of Satan. I want to go back to Egypt so many times in my flesh because I want to do what I want to do. But that's living in Egypt. Egypt in the Bible is a, is a picture of the world. I want, to, I want to go back and be in bondage. But in Exodus chapter 17, verse 3, and the people thirsted there for water there in the desert. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? Moses, you're trying to kill us. It's not good. You brought us out of Egypt where everything was good and freely eating the onions and garlics and all this stuff. Oh, you mean the same king, the same pharaoh that taxed you harder, made you cut all the straw, made you cut the bricks, wherein you're saying we're almost going to die? You mean that same king? You realize that our complaining against God is a desire to return to the bondage of Egypt. Look with me at Numbers chapter 20, verse 5. began to think about this. You know what? When I am complaining against God, I'm complaining about the circumstances of my life. I am no different than the Israelites wanting to return to Egyptian bondage. Because I don't see God leading me in the desert. I was just saying here this morning in Sunday school that the Israelites had in the desert, they had the tabernacle at the very center of them. They had a, cloud, a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. They saw the presence of God upon the tabernacle. They had God's presence, and they still murmured. You and I as believers have the presence of the Holy Spirit of God in us. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. In Numbers chapter 20, verse 5, And wherefore have you made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us into this evil place? It is no place of seed, or of figs, or of vines, or of pomegranates, neither is there any water to drink. So I take the external hardships of my life, the bad things that are going on in my life, the things that might be going on in my house or uh, work or other, I take these unfortunate circumstances that I don't understand why they're happening, I complain upon them, and I'm putting myself back in Egyptian bondage. I don't want to move forward for the Lord. I want to stay in Egyptian bondage. 
The Israelites didn't want to move forward. They didn't want to go into the promised land because there's big people. There's some giants there. There's some difficulties there. Yeah, I'd rather go forward with God in battle, with God on my side, than any day to go against God. But I want to stay in Egypt because that's where the slavery is, and at least I know who my master is. But he doesn't care for you. I'm a little animated today. The external hardships of life are like Eve missing the things of life, caused the Israelites to return to bondage. We don't for, we've forgotten what we've come out of. This is like a battered partner returning to a violent and abusive partner. This is a return to the very person who's making your life miserable. They left Egypt. Do you remember what they did? Look with me. I want to take you back, and I want you to, rem- I want you to think about what Israel has but gone through what God delivered them from. Look with me at Exodus chapter 1. I want to take you back. I want us to think about this. The Egypt syndrome is when life gets hard, I'm saying, it's a whole lot easier when I wasn't serving God. But that's a lie. That is not true. Why is it that we can so quickly kick God to the curb Why is it that we can so quickly say it's God's fault? God doesn't care. Why is it that we can think that somehow when I was doing it my way, it was the best way, it was the easier way, but I'm not willing to relinquish my will and say, God, I just want your will. Ephesians 1.13. The Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and in brick and all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. Then you look at verse 15. And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of the one was Shifra, and the, other, the name of the other Pua. And he said, when ye do the offering office excuse me, of a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him, but if it be a daughter, then she shall live. Go with me to chapter 2, verse 23. And it came to pass in process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried, and their cry came up unto God by the reason of the bond, by reason of the bondage, and God heard their go groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. You mean that Egypt I want to go back? You're the same king that wanted to kill all of our baby boys? The same king that made life so miserable? (laughs) Why carry on? You mean that's what I want to go back to? How do we deceive ourselves into believing that it's a whole lot easier without God than with God? Why is it in our life that we think freedom, I'm going to throw off the shackles of what God did. I'm going to throw off the shackles of the very institution that Jesus died for, the local New Testament church. Why do I think I'm going to throw that off? And I'm going to live my life my way. I'm going to live in the world and I'm going to make money and I'm going to do it my way. You know what? That way is hard because you're on your own. You don't have God with you. You've got a king and government and rulers over you and they can do with you as you please because you've dismissed God's protection from your life. 
Because you don't want him. The message to Israel and the miracles of God produced liberty such as they had not known for 400 years. In Isaiah 61.1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. I want to ask you this question this morning. How many of your family your friends, your relatives, your co-workers are bound in their life. It doesn't have to just be alcohol and drugs. They might be saying, what's the use of life? This world's a mess. They're bound. Why do we as Christians say, and we, we jump back in the Egyptian pit, I jump back into the very pit from which I was redeemed. We complain all day long because I forget what I've been delivered from. The items to return to Egyptian bondage, I'm going to bring up a list. This will bring me into this evening. There is nothing that gives freedom outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. God creates the bounds of freedom and he is the proprietor of freedom. You must stay close to him and yield to him to maintain freedom. If you follow anything else, you will be in bondage. I'd like you to look with me at Romans chapter 6, verse 12. Isn't it amazing, God's word? It's a humbling thing. I have the great privilege to bring forth his word. It's not any wisdom of man, but it's all of God. Romans chapter 6, verse 12, as you follow along, it's a little bit lengthier passage, but you're a servant to sin or you're a servant of righteousness. One gives death and one gives life. Romans chapter 6, verse 12. Let not sin, therefore, reign. Verse 12 of Romans chapter 6. Give you a second to get there. Romans chapter 6, verse 12. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. They're in the New Testament. Verse 12 of Romans 6. Let not sin... What is sin? We say that word a lot, but what is sin? It's doing that which is an offense to God. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield to your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of, run, excuse me, of righteousness unto God, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law. You're not under the Egyptian Pharaoh anymore, but under grace. What then shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace, God forbid? Just because God's forgiven me does not give me the ability to live my life as I please. God set boundaries in our life to keep us free 
you say boundaries aren't freedom. Yes, they are. They're protective measures. If a city or a, a uh, you know, Israel at that one time, they had that iron dome. Now, it, it would let some mortars in, but it basically is a whole bunch of sensors and rockets and stuff, and so when mortars are coming in, they're shooting them down. That barrier was a protective measure to keep out any dangerous items. Walls in a city, you might say, oh, they're so confining, but they're also protective from an enemy attacking you so easily. Verse 15, what then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid, know ye not that to whom ye yield your servant, yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. What did Eve do? She yielded herself to sin, she yielded herself to Satan, and she brought herself into bondage. Verse 17, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which has delivered you. What did Israel do? They put the blood on the doorpost. They put it on the top of their doorpost. The death angel went over. Just as the shed blood of Jesus Christ redeemed us, we pa he passed over us, and we are able to have a relationship with God. We got out of Egypt. So Israel obeyed. They got all the, 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 the leaven, they got all the yeast out of their house, they obeyed, they put their heart upon God, they put the blood upon the doorpost, and God delivered them. Verse 18, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Israel became a nation of people. What did Rahab say? She said, we knew God gave you this land. We, we saw God do amazing things to get you out of Egypt. We saw God get you across the Red Sea. We saw God feed you 40 years in the desert. We saw God give you the water and the, and the quail. We've heard about all of this. We saw God get you across, you know, the spies when they came in. She says, we know God gave you this land. And that's the same thing that the Gibeonites who would deceive Joshua would say. Verse 22, Romans Six. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is my escape from bondage to the glorious heights of a relationship with God. Why do I want to go back to Egypt? The same king that wanted to kill all the boys the same king that would oppress harsh, harshly. And when Moses asked for freedom, he says, okay, we used to cut the straw for you. We're going to make life even harder. Why do I want to go back to that? Why do I want to go back to the emotions of living life under my own philosophy? Why do I want to go back and live under my own way of doing things? has a better plan. Here's a list of items, and this will take us into this evening. I won't be able to finish this this evening, or this morning, excuse me. A list of items that people will believe will give them freedom. Number one, look with me at Psalm 49, verses 6 through, we'll look at verses 6 through 15. This is an important thing. Many Christians are bound by their emotions. They're not free. 
They say, I believe in God, I put my faith in Jesus, but you are still living in Egypt. Because your emotions and your thoughts, they consume what you do. It's not God leading you in the desert. It's not God leading you into the promised land. It's your thoughts and your emotions that keep you bound. And you're not moving forward. You're not producing the fruit that God wants to produce because of your emotions that are still crying out, I want the leeks and the garlic and the onions that we freely had in Egypt. That's a lie. You didn't have that. Satan likes to throw a lot of lies and we end up believing them in our minds. Psalm 49, verse 6. They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. So this whole idea of Catholic purgatory is an absolute lie. It's a money-making scheme, but it is not truth. Purgatory, you can't buy your loved one out of the judgment of God once this life is over. Verse 8, for the redemption of their soul is precious, then it ceaseth forever, that he should still live forever and not see corruption. For he that seeth that wise men die, likewise the fool and the brutish person perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Nevertheless, man, being in honor, abideth not. He is like the beast that perish. This their way is their folly, yet their posterity approve their saying, Selah. Like sheep, they are laid in the grave, death shall feed on them, and the upright shall have dominion over them in the morning, and their beauty shall consume in the grave from their dwelling, but God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me, Selah. I can't, if I die, and you're thinking, well, he's not a Christian, I'm going to pay a whole lot of money to some church, and that's going to get you out of purgatory into God's good graces. Lie. That is not true. It's only God that can redeem my soul. It's only what you do with God now that will get you into eternity, what you do with Jesus Christ now. Second of all, there's this idea by so many that their houses shall continue forever. Oh, we're going to buy a big plot of land. I'm going to put my name on it. It's the land of the Lao family, like the Lao clan or whatever. I'm just going to put a name there, okay? And uh, this is the property that I have, and it's going to pass down from generation to generation to generation to generation, but somewhere in those generations, some, that land will probably not be there indefinitely in, in the Lao clan. Should, it ever, should I ever buy land like that, right? It's not going to be there. We think that our name, I'm going to leave a legacy for my kids, and you can, but the greatest legacy that you can leave is that you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. He was first in your life. He had first over all that you do, He had, and that you wanted everyone to come to know Him. That's the legacy. But people think we put our name upon some house or some land or some company and somehow it's going to go on forever. Eventually that company name will change and they'll forget you. It might not be a few hundred years, but it's going to take some time. We all perish. We all die. If I were to win the lottery or make it big, some may think, I can leave this place and have a good time. I can leave a legacy. 
I can have a place with my name on it. I can go to a priest and buy my friend or family's way into heaven. No, you can't. You can't live for yourself and expect freedom. So the first thing that brings us into bondage is our own vanity. Vanity is an excessive pride in my achievements. Judges chapter 6, verses 7 through 10, came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you, and drave them out from before you and gave you their land, and I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the God of the Amor- gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. God says, listen, I delivered you. We are a culture of people that trust in our achievements as somehow that's going to merit any favor in eternity. I forgot who delivered me. I forgot from where I came. My friend, your achievements before God in eternity, only what you do for God, in faith to God, is what matters. The second thing that we find is immorality and relationships don't bring freedom. Remember the story of Amnon? He had a half-sister, and he thought she was so beautiful, and he wanted to have a sexual relationship with her, and so he had this very foolish friend that told him, hey, play sick, and when she's in the room alone, then you can have your way with her. And he did, and it didn't end up very well. And it would go on to say, he hated her so that the hatred wherewith he hated her was greater than the love wherewith he had loved her. David and Bathsheba. David would do this in the evening, that he would take Bathsheba, who was Uriah's wife, he'd bring her unto himself, and they would have immorality, they'd have fornication, And she would get pregnant. And then David would kill her husband. The woman caught in adultery. In John chapter 8, Jesus. Jesus doesn't tell her, you know, as he writes in the ground and all the the Pharisees, they all run away. They all, not run away, but they all walk away when he wrote something in the ground. He didn't say... Continue in your relationship. He said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Don't continue with this relationship. Freedom. The promiscuous woman of Proverbs 7. A woman here of Proverbs 7, she catches the simple man, but nevertheless, this idea that somehow a relationship with someone will give me freedom. You're not going to have freedom if you're not doing it God's way, and you're not going to have freedom within the bounds that God's established. I was thinking of the song of culture. There's a cultural song, it was called Free Falling by Tom Petty. She's a good girl, loves her mama, loves Jesus in America too, and he would go on To dump her. 
that I'm free. I'm free. He had a beautiful lady. Everything that this man thought he could need. He preyed on an innocent girl. He dropped her. Says he didn't miss her. Fell into a pit of despair with other bad boys standing in the shadows. There's regret. If you don't live your life, people think, man, if I have a relationship, if I'm dating someone, then I'll be fulfilled, then I'll be free. No, you won't. No, you won't. You're not free if you're not doing it God's way. The third thing that we find is wealth isn't freedom. I'll end with this point on this one, and we'll look at the other ones this evening. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. First Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money, is it, but the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. How many people that said, well, I just need to make money for God. I just need to make money. I, I've got a lot of debts, and so it brings them out of church. They're not in church anymore, and they begin, their life spirals out of control. Because the debt and the other things that they have said, well, or they just, you know, I want all these toys, so I don't have time for church, and I'll get a, when, I, when I have time for God, then I'll go to church. That's a lie. You're going back to Egypt. Luke chapter 12, verse 20, there's a man who said, I'm going to build up great silos, and I, I've, I've, I've created a great retirement, and now I'm going to sit back, eat, drink, and be merry. And God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? How many people, have you known of anyone that maybe they've got a really nice nest egg for retirement, they sit back, and then they find out maybe they've got cancer or something else, tragedy happens. Oh, I didn't expect that to happen. Well, you've lived your life for yourself. I'm not saying that it always does, but it, it happens at times. Look with me. Solomon, the richest man who ever lived. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes. Psalms, Proverbs. Song of Solomon. <coughs> Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Excuse me. Ecclesiastes 1. Verse 13. Now Solomon was a, the wealthiest man. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. I mean, the guy, he was a Casanova by cultural understanding. He gets to the end of his life when, by the inspiration of God, this is written. Verse 13, I gave my heart to seek and to search out, with, uh, search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Verse 15, that which is crooked cannot be made straight, and that which is wanting cannot be numbered. I communed with mine own heart, saying, Lo, 
I am come to great estate and have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart and great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is vexation of spirit. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. Isn't that the truth? The more you know about this world, (laughs) you're thinking, oh my, there's a lot of wickedness. So wealth isn't freedom. Solomon had all of it. He had a lot of people that wanted his wealth. How about when someone wins the lottery? Man, they have friends and family from the cracks of their house coming out of the woodwork saying, hey, I need some money. Is that freedom? You might be saying, Pastor, I know you're drawing on some silly things here. But where is your freedom? Do you have a conscience that is free of offense towards God? Is your lifestyle in a way that is free and without any known sin before you and God? Because we keep saying, well, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. But what does the Bible say? What does God say? What does the Spirit of God convicting you say? You're not living in freedom. You can excuse it all day long as the Israelites did. You can complain all day long as the Israelites did. But you're putting yourself back in the Egypt syndrome. You're putting yourself back in the pit of the very slavery from which God redeemed you. Why would we do that? Because we don't realize what God's given us in the first place. And so as I bring this to a close for an invitation period, I want to ask you in your life, are you free? Are you free? If you were to stand before God, is there anything right now, if you come before His presence, we're going to have a time of quietness here to pray. I'll have Mrs. Pat come forward, please. And as the music will play, I, I want to ask you, if God was, He is next to us, He is in us, if you're a Christian, but if you're right next, and if God is standing in front of you, what is it in your life that He would say, listen, this isn't right? If God convicts in your heart that this isn't right, you need to do what's appropriate. If you have questions about how to make it right, I'd be happy to meet with you in private, my wife and I, it's a lady. But the truth is, you can't be free with God and expect the privileges and the blessings of God if you're continuing to want to be in Egypt. You can't have it. So we looked at three things that will bring you no freedom. Vanity, immorality, relationships, and wealth. Those don't bring freedom. And so as the music plays at this time, I I really do want to ask you, are you free? Just between you and God to pray. Maybe you need to kneel in your pew and just talk with God. The first thing to being free, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ, you don't realize that your sin will send you to hell simple faith, you call out to God and ask Him to forgive you of your sins. See, Jesus came to give us freedom with God. He came 
that we could be free in our hearts and our minds. That I don't need to be brought under the bondage of the sin of this world. I can live free. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ, maybe you've never heard this, I'd love to explain it to you further. Please don't go another day if you're not saved because hell is forever. And Christian, we've got to get out of Egypt. I gotta stop being bound by the things of this world, and I need to be free. God wants to give us abundant, as He promised there in Egypt. The simple truth is, I've got to stop complaining and crying for Egypt, and instead crying for Him until delivered. song comes to a close here shortly. I trust that you would really think about your life. What is it that's making you not free? What is it that's taking you back to Egypt? What are the complaints, the grumblings? Do you see that as a very calling to be back in Egypt? Father, I want to thank you that, Lord, you've called us to get out of bondage or we don't need to be bound by our emotions. Lord, we don't need to be held captive by the past. And God, you've given a path out. I'm not saying it's necessarily a quick and easy path, but there is a path out to freedom. Lord, I pray that we would desire the peace and the rest that you want to give us. Lord, you desire us to get into the promised land of your blessings. There were still trials in the promised land. there were great blessings as well. And so, Father, I pray that wherever each and every person may be struggling in their lives, and inadvertently crying for Egypt, Lord, I pray that we would find the freedom that comes in you. And rather desiring to go back to living my life my way, I would just desire to do it God's way. Father, may we be a free people in our hearts and our lives and our minds. And should there be anyone this morning, if they were to die here in the near future, no one's planning for it, but should an accident or anything occur, Lord, I pray that they would settle where they're going to spend eternity. Lord, I pray in their heart, God, that they would reach out and settle that decision. Father, I love you. I thank you for being such an amazing Savior. God, I thank you for how you work in my heart, continually deal with my complaints. 
Lord, because you desire to be reconciled. Have us reconciled unto thyself. That, Lord, we could walk in the liberty that you've given to us. Father, I love you and thank you for all that you'll do and will do. Help us have a wonderful day to be your ambassadors. In Jesus' precious name I pray.